time to start a new book. We're going to be starting the book of Mark. And when I was kind of praying through which books to go through and kind of reading through some different books, um, Mark wasn't near the top of the list there. And the Lord kept bringing me back to the book of Mark. Now, I've always kind of liked the book of Mark, but when I first got saved, I didn't like it a whole lot. And the deeper I've walked with the Lord, the more I've grown to love that book of Mark. And I'll get to that point in a little bit of why. Mark's a little bit different. Now, it's one of the Gospels. Remember, Gospel means good news. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That means there's four accounts on the life of Jesus, each one from a slightly different perspective. They're not contradictory in any way. The classic example of this, if you take four people and have them watch something, and then you ask each one about it, they will all explain the same situation, but they'll explain it from a slightly different angle. That's what you see here with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one of them have an emphasis of the different accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew has a lot of Old Testament prophecy there. The idea of Luke focusing on humanity, John focusing on the idea of God, and then you have the book of Mark. Mark is what makes Mark interesting is this. It's the shortest of the Gospels. It's only 16 chapters, and it is a fast-paced book. That's what I did not like about Mark when I first got saved. I enjoyed Matthew starting out with his genealogy. I enjoyed Luke with the classic Christmas birth story. I enjoyed John starting out with the depth of God and who Jesus was. Mark just jumps right into it, and it keeps moving. To prove that, take a look. Jesus' baptism in verses 9 through 11. Three quick verses. The temptation of Jesus, 12 and 13. Just two verses. Other gospel accounts do these long, drawn-out stories. Mark is like, nope, we've got to keep moving here. Mark focuses more on action than teaching. That does not mean it pushes teaching to the side. But the purpose of the book of Mark is to let you know what Jesus did. In the book of John, you will have entire chapters that are all in red about the teachings of Jesus. And those are amazing. I love them. Mark is like, let me tell you what Christ did. The book of Mark, its focus is action. The ministry of Jesus. One of the central themes of the book of Mark comes from Mark chapter 10 where it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And that's what you see here in the book of Mark. An emphasis on action and serving. There is no genealogy in the book of Mark. There is no birth story in the book of Mark. It is a rapid paced book that covers the life of Jesus, and it does it in a very unique way. It's kind of interesting. If you do a word study on this, The word immediately is used nearly 40 times in the book of Mark. It shows Jesus was always moving. Now, don't accept that as being rushed. He wasn't rushed. But Jesus had three years of public ministry, and he moved with it. I got a slide I want to show you. Dustin, can you put up that first slide? And I picked this slide on purpose. And as you'll see it, you'll kind of get an idea of why. It looks absolutely crazy, doesn't it? This is the first 10 chapters of the book of Mark. Each arrow represents a different location that he went. We don't think about this much in the life of Jesus. As we're kind of studying out a book like this, we'll read about Jesus went from Capernaum to Nazareth or Nazareth to Jerusalem, and we'll read it just as quick one little story. You don't realize for Jesus to go from Nazareth to Jerusalem, it's about 75, 80 miles. That's quite the trek. So if you want to follow along with this, it's, it's quite the fascinating little beginning right here. You can see how these arrows go all over the place there. Now you can see he starts here, goes up here, goes there. And the next thing you know, if I lose track here to here to here to here to here to here. And this is the first 10 chapters. Some of these distances, right right from here, Genesis all the way up to here. That's about 50 miles. 
from here, Capernaum. He makes this trek right down to here. That's about 70 miles. Now, when you look at it on a map, it doesn't look that way. But for him to travel those 70 miles, that's days. And it kind of shows that over the life of Jesus' three years of public ministry, he was always moving and ministering to people. Let me stress again, it does not mean he was rushed. Dare I would say it doesn't mean he was busy. We live in an age today where people elevate busyness. We say it as a sense of pride. You go up to somebody and say, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm busy. So busy. Busy with what? Well, the kids are in this. Then I got this at work. We got this thing going on at home. We got this. And we're busy with nothing that has to do with eternity. But we're busy. And like I said, we almost pride ourselves on busyness. Jesus was never busy. But he was always focused on ministry. And I think that's something that's important. And you see that in the book of Mark. This idea of immediately, 40 times here, this idea of I'm going to constantly be going and moving as the Lord has led me. So often we get up in the day... We start the day off with the way we want to start out. I don't do anything until I get my cup of coffee. I don't do anything until I do this. Jesus would say, I don't do anything until I pray. I don't do anything until I seek the Lord. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is found in Mark 1.35. It says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. That verse has changed my life and changed my ministry when I first started understanding it. First one, verse 35. I need to get up and get going before anybody else on my house does. If I don't get up and get going before anybody else on my house does, I will let them dictate my morning rather than the Lord. That's just the way it is. I don't say that legalistically. I don't say that as some type of burden. It's the reality. Unless I get up and start my day off in the devotions and in the word, I am allowing the day to control me. So I look at that and I say, Jesus, you set the example of getting up. I want to get up. And I need to get to a solitary place, verse 35, a deserted place. That means I need to let sometimes phone calls go, texts go. I need to let situations go and say, Lord, I need to focus on you. Jesus departed to such a solitary place. Look at 36. They searched for him. They couldn't find him. The God of the universe who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, got away from everybody. And when they found him, they said in 37, everyone is looking for you. What is Jesus' response in 38? All right, let's leave then. That doesn't sound very loving. I mean, I just try to envision that. Someone coming up to me and saying, James, everyone's looking for you. Okay, good, I'm leaving now. That doesn't really sound like the love of Jesus. But Jesus was so focused on God's will, he stopped and said, listen, I've spent the morning in prayer. I know what the Lord's calling me to do. Verse 38, it's time for me to go to the next town. And so when I look at this, this looks chaotic and crazy. But Jesus says, no, this is prayed over. This is where God's called me. And so even though I may have been in Capernaum, and now he sent me 50 miles that way, okay, now it's time to go back because that's the ministry of the Lord, and I need to have that mindset. That's what I love about the book of Mark. When I first started studying it, I thought, we're just jumping here and going from thing to thing. There's no depth. How are we supposed to study this? And now when I say the book of Mark, I say, oh, I get it now. This was his life. Three years of trying to say, Lord, I want to reach as many people as I possibly can in as many towns, as many areas to represent the gospel that the Savior has come. And that's the way I want to look at my life. Okay, Lord, as many people as I can, let's go represent you. Action in the book of Mark, more than teaching. Not putting down the teaching, no genealogy, no birth story, a very rapid pace. But yet at the same time, what an absolute best blessing.
So with that being said, let's jump into this. Verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you notice that, that's really not a sentence. It's more of a title. This is what you're getting ready to study. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's a lot of beginnings in the Bible. You have Genesis 1, you have the beginning, creation. John 1, you have the beginning of God. And I don't say that as he had a beginning, but it's saying that in the beginning, God has already existed. Mark is like, I want to start right here. In the beginning of the gospel, the good news of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Hey, if you want the birth story, he'd say, hey, go check out Luke. You want some genealogy? Hey, go check out Matthew. But if you just want to say, what was it like when Jesus walked on this earth? Let's start right here. Now let's break this down. The word gospel means good news. Think about that, folks. That's the best news you can tell somebody is that Jesus Christ died for their sins. That's the only thing that matters. That's the good news. We will talk about so much. I guarantee that you probably had a conversation today or you will have a conversation tomorrow and it will be some pointless conversation. Oh, it's cold out there, isn't it? We will. We will have conversations about things that have nothing. But the most important conversation you could ever have is the gospel, the good news. And that's what I like about Mark. He goes, let's just jump right to it. The beginning of the gospel, the good news. And look at the description. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's got everything you need. Jesus, he is man. He is human. Christ, he is the Messiah. Son of God, he is God. Great title right there. Jesus represents his humanity, born of Mary. Christ represents his calling, the Old Testament Messiah, the anointed one for our sins. And lastly, the Son of God, representing this idea of he was God. That's why we study out the life of Jesus. He was man, that was God, that's the Messiah, that's the good news, that's what we're here to study. Verse 2, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. There's not many um, Old Testament references in the book of Mark. If you read the book of Matthew, it is full of Old Testament references. Mark only has a couple. Mark's primary audience was not the Jews. That was the book of Matthew. All those references represent who that is. Mark's primary audience was probably not the Greeks. That's more of a Luke, maybe, or a John. From what we can tell, Mark's primary audience was probably Gentiles, maybe Romans. They didn't really care what the Old Testament had to say. If you'd go up to a Roman 2,000 years ago and say, do you understand how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of Isaiah 53? The Romans would say, I don't know who Isaiah is, and I really don't care who Isaiah is. So Mark doesn't have a whole lot of um, ideas of the prophecies. Mark just wants to talk about who Jesus is. And he starts out with this, this idea of prophecy. And what is this prophecy about? It's about the messenger. The messenger that God has sent, and that messenger is John the Baptist. Now, that's his theme here that he's going to go through for the first few verses, is understanding that of who the messenger is. But before we get to who John is, the Baptist, I think we should take one quick step back and let's talk about who Mark is. Dustin, can you go to that next slide real quick? I just put these references up here. I want to kind of go through this with you. I think it's kind of important as we're going through the book of Mark, let's figure out who Mark is. We know who Matthew is. Matthew, 
was also known as Levi. He was the tax collector. We know who John was. John was one of the 12, the disciple that Jesus loved. We know who Luke was. Luke was the traveling companion of Paul. He wrote, also wrote the book of Acts. But you got Mark. So who's Mark? Let's just go through some references here in Mark. First one, you find out Mark. First Peter 5.13. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greet you, and so does Mark, my son, written by Peter. Peter and Mark had quite the relationship. So much so that Peter refers to Mark as my spiritual son. So Mark served with Peter. Mark was a disciple of Jesus Christ, obviously, but he was also with Peter there. A lot of people believe that when you're studying out the book of Mark, that the spirit worked through Peter and Mark there. Because what probably happened was Mark took a lot of what Peter told him of the life of Jesus. And then through the Holy Spirit, put this all together there. Because obviously Peter was quite the eyewitness to what was going on. So Mark had quite the relationship with Peter. Now, next one's an interesting Mark 14, 51 through 52. We'll get to that here in a few weeks, obviously. But there's this really strange verse in Mark 14 where they're arresting Jesus. And the Bible says there's a young man that comes out to see what's going on. And the soldiers see the young man and they try to grab him. And as they grab him, they kind of rip his clothes off a little bit and the guy runs away. Okay, that's not mentioned in Matthew. It's not mentioned in Luke. And it's not mentioned in John. A lot of people believe that probably means that this possibly could have been Mark himself. That Mark could have been, and I put a question mark there, could have been an eyewitness to some of these things as well too as a very young man. Because it says in Mark that he was a young man. Now, we know Mark was very active in early church. Take a look at Acts 12, 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. It was not uncommon for them to have a Hebrew name, if you will, and kind of a Greek name. He's known as John Mark. So we know that Mark's family was active in the early church, meeting in the house of his mom for prayer. And so that's how Mark also got to know Peter and got to know Paul. Now, can you go with me now to Acts chapter 12, please? Acts 12. So Mark is at this house, possibly was an eyewitness of some of the stuff that Jesus has done. New Peter, new Paul, meeting for prayer at the house. And I don't want to add to the scriptures. I don't know exactly what happened. But you kind of see this idea of Paul maybe being around this house a little bit, and there's Mark that seems to be kind of a young guy, and he's got a real heart and a zeal for the Lord. So Acts 12, 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Paul and Barnabas are going to go out on a missionary journey. Hey, Mark, I see you at the prayer meetings. I see your heart for the Lord. You want to come along with us? Now, we also know from the Bible that uh, Barnabas and Mark were also cousins. Sure, let's go on a missionary journey. So what happens here? Jump ahead to Acts 13, please. Acts 13, verse 13. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. He didn't last real long in his first missionary journey. We don't know the details. We don't know what happened. He joins them at the end of 12, and he leaves them about 13 verses later. Which now then jump ahead to Acts 15, please. Now in Acts 15, Paul says, let's go out again on another missionary journey, Barnabas. So Acts 13, excuse me, Acts 15, verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. Remember, they are cousins. That word for determined in the Greek is a very strong word. That's not determined in the sense of, you know what? Hey, you want to go to town today? Say, sounds good. 
Determined means I'm putting my foot down and we're taking John Mark with us. 38. Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Verse 38. Departed from them. Some translations say deserted. Paul says, I'm not taking him. We tried this one time, Barnabas. I know he's your cousin. We tried this. The guy jumped ship. He couldn't handle it. We're not doing it. So they just prayed about it and separated peaceably, right? 39. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So now they split. 2,000 years ago, the church still couldn't get along sometimes. It hasn't changed much in any way whatsoever. The only thing that's changed 2,000 years later is this, that if you were part of the church 2,000 years ago and you said, I don't like that person and I don't like that person either, you didn't have a church in every corner that you could go to. Sometimes you were forced to work it out a little bit more. Nowadays, today, if we have an issue we don't like, we just jump to a different church. Sometimes we lose that depth of saying, I want to go through this, grow through this, dare I say, fight through this, argue through this, and realize the only thing that matters is Jesus Christ. So now Mark goes with Barnabas. Paul takes Silas. Now, I want you to understand that this was an honest-to-goodness argument here. Barnabas was determined. Paul insisted no. The contention becomes so sharp, they split. Now, you can try to make this sound a little rosier, Hey, now we have two missionary journeys going on instead of one. That's true. The Bible follows Paul, so some people believe that was the one to go with. But you remember what Barnabas' name is. Barnabas also means son of encouragement. Barnabas was the one that went and looked for Paul after Paul got saved. Barnabas obviously had a heart for people. So Barnabas takes Mark. We don't know what happened because the Bible's silent on it. But jump ahead to Philemon 24. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. Something happens now where Paul says, Mark is now working with me again. And go to Paul's last book that he wrote, 2 Timothy 4.11. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. I love Mark. I love Mark because Mark didn't have the resolve to follow through. Mark faltered. Mark quit. And he still worked it out. He still got another chance. He still said, okay, I'm going to learn from this. And you fast forward a couple decades. Paul says, the guy that I insisted that I would not take with me, he's a fellow laborer now. And at the end of Paul's life, he says, get Mark. He's useful. That's what I love about Mark. So what I'm trying to say is this. When I first got saved, I didn't know the depth of the book of Mark. I didn't know a lot about Mark himself. And when you start studying out this man that is mentioned in the book of Acts, 1 Peter, Philemon, 2 Timothy, possibly Mark himself, the book, mentioned possibly in five different books, worked with Peter, worked with Paul, worked with Barnabas, possibly was an eyewitness to some of the lives of Jesus, this guy is quite the guy. And I want you to remember that as we go through this. And maybe there's been some times in ministry where, to be quite honest, you were like, Mark, the going got tough, and so you got going. Isn't it nice to know the Lord says, I still want to work with you. I still want to use you. Maybe you have a relationship right now with somebody that is strained in ministry, and you can stop and say, you know what? Paul and Mark could work this out. We can work this out. 
It's a really neat study of who this guy is, and I want you to remember that as we go through and we mention Mark and we mention his name in this gospel. Remember who he is. Remember his life story, and it's a pretty neat little thing. So now we're going to get back to who John the Baptist was, but I wanted to explain who Mark was. But real quick, anybody got any quick questions about Mark so far or understanding that first sentence, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, or who Mark was? We good? All right, let's see what we got here. This prophecy is about John the Baptist. Behold, I send my messenger before you, excuse me, before your face who will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist is quite the guy. Quite the guy to say the least. Jesus said in Matthew 11, think about this statement, that there has been no other man born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. Do you realize that? Jesus said there has not been a man born of a woman, born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. That is pretty impressive. Put that on your resume. Think about what that means. John the Baptist, according to Jesus, was greater than Moses who gave the law. Greater than Elijah, the great prophet. Greater than Noah, this man of faith. Greater than David, this amazing king. God plays favorites a little bit. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in the Old Testament. There's a couple passages where he name drops some people. He says in Jeremiah 15, he name drops Moses and Samuel. As two great men, servants of his. In Ezekiel 14, he name drops Noah, Daniel, and Job. And Jesus is saying, John the Baptist is greater than Noah, Daniel, Job, Moses, Samuel, Elijah, David. That's an amazing statement. So if this guy is that absolutely amazing, I think we should stop and say... What makes John the Baptist that amazing that Jesus would say, this is the greatest man born of a woman? The answer is quite, quite simple. The reason why John the Baptist was so amazing because he spent his entire life pointing people towards Jesus Christ. That's all. There's nothing deep theological about it. That's the truth. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you just point people towards Christ. In my mind, I always say, deflect and reflect. I want to reflect who Jesus is. So when Christ shines in my life, I reflect the glory of who Jesus is. I want people to get saved. I deflect. When the attention tries to get on me, deflect it. Nope, it's all about the Lord. But you see so many pastors, so many ministries that are not trying to deflect. They want to absorb. That's a dangerous place to be. John the Baptist constantly pointed people towards Christ. I want to build on this a little bit. Go with me to John chapter 1. John 1. Let's see this in action about John the Baptist pointing people towards Christ. John 1, pick it up in verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? John's making some waves. He's over in the area of Judea, baptizing people, being quite the prophet. You have to remember Israel has gone through a silent year. A very long, silent period, I should say, from Malachi to here. There hasn't been a prophet in hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. So now all of a sudden, John the Baptist is on the scene, and people are lining up to get baptized. He's got a movement going on. And so what happens? The people from Jerusalem come, verse 19, the priests and Levites. Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. Now, you've heard me joke about this before. 
Have you in your years of witnessing ever been confused for Jesus? Do you realize that? I'm not the Christ. I mean, can you imagine having to tell people that? I just want to remind you, I'm not God. That's John the Baptist's ministry that people actually possibly maybe thought he could have been the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. Wouldn't you for just, just the tiniest of second of verse 21 people to maybe think you were? I mean, just, just, I mean, not like long enough to get struck by lightning, but just for a tiny little bit. Well, maybe I, no, I'm really not. But just for that brief moment, you think I could be. 21. They asked him then, what then, are you Elijah? See, they knew the prophecy. They knew the prophecy that says Elijah was supposed to come before the Messiah came. And John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? The prophet goes all the way back to Exodus, where Moses prophesied there to be this prophet that ends up being Jesus. He said, no. They said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. See, my job is to go before, to go before the Messiah and prepare the path for him. Verse 24. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. Look, right back to who Jesus is. I'm not going to talk about myself, but let me tell you about the man who's coming after me. 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Once again, pointing people towards Jesus. So much so, jump ahead to 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. John's sending his disciples to go follow Jesus. One thing I've noticed in years of ministry is most pastors are like tomcats marking their territory. Those are my people. Those are my sheep. That's my area and it's my church. Oh, good golly, it's Jesus' church. It's Jesus' ministry. It's for his glory. People come, people go. I, I can't decide who shows up or not. I just need to love those that show up. John, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. And by the way, it's all about Jesus, so go follow him. Boy, that, that, that's what made him the greatest man is he constantly kept pointing people towards Jesus and said, my job is to prepare you for the coming Messiah. That's why Jesus said this man is so great. Jump back now to Mark chapter 1, please. So let's break down verses 2 and 3. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Messenger is John the Baptist, who will prepare your way before you. He prepares. How does he prepare? Look at verse 4. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. His job was to prepare people for the coming Messiah, for the Lord. Look at verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare people to meet Jesus. Point people to Jesus. I'm telling you once again, right now, if you if you want to find fulfillment in this life, if you want to find joy in this life, if you want to find purpose in this life, point people towards Christ. That's the greatest joy, peace, and fulfillment you could ever find. If you are constantly trying to build your little kingdom and get yourself ahead in life and get all the toys and whatever else you want, you will constantly walk in a bit of disappointment. 
But if your whole purpose in life is say, Lord, give us one person. I mean, that, that's what we pray before we go out as a family. Lord, just, just give us one person that we can represent you to. Now, what does that look like? Let the Spirit lead. We went over to uh, Pemberville a couple Sundays ago. And they have this Christmas celebration, and they have the Christmas lights and all the other type of stuff, and we just absolutely love going to it. But as we go, we are going, and we enjoy it as a family. It is a lot of fun. But one of the things we do is we try to take these uh, tracks with us, Christmas tracks, and they're really neat, and it's got this little Christmas message on it, whatever, and, and the boys sometimes will hand those out. Because, yes, let's go enjoy this moment. Let's go enjoy this season. But let's also think about eternity. I just encourage you, try to do those little things. Carry them with you there. Try to hand them out to people. Anytime we go, if we're standing at the checkout line, we always are praying before we go, Lord, help us just to represent you to one person. So yes, we've we got 30 seconds at this checkout. We're going to make chit-chat for 30 seconds. We could talk about how cold it is. Or we could see where the Lord leads in all these type of ways. It's neat to see what God does. I, I shared with you guys the story. Oh, um, I don't know if it was a Sunday or a Wednesday. I can't remember what it was, but the time where Jude and I were out at Walmart. And the cashier guy was checking, uh, taking care of our purchases and stuff. And it took a while to kind of get to the gospel point. And at the end, it got to the gospel. And it's like, ah, this really wasn't the time to share it. So we went out to the car, if you remember the story, got a gospel track, went back, gave him the track, and asked him to read it, etc. And he kind of planted the seed and kind of get out of the way. Went back to Walmart now, what has it been, two months later, had him as the cashier again. So I'm standing there, and it's like, you know, we're making chit-chat because that's what I do. And I looked at him and I said, hey, I said, you were my, I, I know I sound like the creepy guy. I get that. I said, hey, you were the, the guy that uh, was the cashier the one time. And he goes, mm. he goes, yeah, a lot of people come through my line. I said, yeah, but you were writing the paper for your psychology class on, on death and dying. He goes, you, you got a good memory. I said, I said, I remember that. I said, came back in and I talked to you. And he goes, yeah. I said, so, how'd it go? And he goes, oh, I got a good grade on the paper. And I said, no. I said, what do you think about death and dying? And he goes, well, we're all going to die. I said, we're all going to die. I said, that's why it's so important to know who, where we're going. And I said, so are you a Christian? And he goes, I mean, do I believe in who Jesus is? I said, yeah. And he goes, for sure. I said, amen. And it was just all of a sudden, it was like, okay, Lord, there's an opportunity. It doesn't matter what I bought. Doesn't matter any of that. What matters most is there's an opportunity to represent Jesus Christ. And that's something that I've tried to learn from John the Baptist's life. I don't force it, I don't push it, but by golly, I want to be prayed up and ready for it if the Lord opens a door. And I just see that with John the Baptist. I'm here to prepare people to meet Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to do. What does that mean? Verse 4 repentance for the remission of sins. Repentance, it means change. It means you got to change your mind. Some people define repentance as doing a 180. I'm on the path to hell. I repent. And I'm on repenting. And I go the opposite direction to heaven. Repentance does not mean I clean up my life a little bit. Repentance does not mean that I was going to hell and now I'm... No, repentance means I change directions. And I'm now serving Jesus like I used to serve Satan. And you may stop and say, well, I never used to serve Satan. But yet we did. We didn't realize it because that's one of the deceitfulness and the lies of the enemy. But you're either of your father in heaven or your father in hell. There's no in between. So he teaches repentance. And what else does he teach there with repentance? The idea of the remission of sins. 
Verse 4, remission of sins. Remission literally means release of bondage, letting go, canceled. When you realize your sins have been canceled, your sins have been forgiven, as some translations say, that changes your life. That's the gospel message. The good news is that you can repent of your sins and have them forgiven through what Jesus Christ did. That was what John was saying. Prepare because the Messiah was coming. Verse 5. Then all the land of Judea, Judea is north of Jerusalem, and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Confess means to agree with. Now listen, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. Definitely present the love of the Lord. You've got to present the love of the Lord. But part of the salvation message, the gospel, the good news is, I was a sinner going to hell, and my sin has to be taken care of, and so therefore I repent of my sins, I confess my sins, and now I serve Jesus Christ. There are many people that believe that God loves them, and they have not repented of their sins. There's many people presenting a gospel of God just loves you. That is true. I cannot disagree with that. You will know that you are my disciples by your love. First John, God is love. That is all true. But Jesus died on the cross to take care of my sins. And that's what also needs to be represented. And so you see John here presenting the repentance for the remission of sins. Verse 5, confessing their sins. We have to deal with the sin problem. That's part of the gospel message. Verse 6, now John was clothed with camel's hair, just like in 2 Kings 1, Elijah, and with a leather belt around his waist, just like 2 Kings 1, Elijah, and he ate locusts with wild honey. Locusts were a clean animal. I know animal's not the proper term there. They were a clean insect, according to the Old Testament, and it's not uncommon over there to take those locusts, dip them in honey, and eat them. So that's what he lived in the wilderness, and that's what he did. Listen, the guy was unique. There's no way around that. Now, I think sometimes Christians take this and they try to make unique be pushed. I'm just saying, if you want to go out and live the life radically for Jesus Christ, you're going to be weird no matter what to the world. Just accept that. I'm not saying you need to walk around with a camel's hair, a leather belt, eating locusts. If that's what the Lord's called you to do, that's fine. But the point is this, if you're going to go live radically for Christ, you're going to be weird to your neighbors, you're going to be weird to your friends and family, and your kids are going to be weird because we're raising them differently. And he preached, verse 7, there comes one after me who's mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. That idea of that sandal strap stooping down and loose, you have to understand from a Jewish perspective. We mentioned on Sunday in John 13 about this idea of Jesus washing feet, and that was the lowest of the low job for the slaves. One of the things that was not required of a slave is they would never ask the slave to take off your sandals. That was considered too low of a job for a slave. So if you're a slave, there was a limit of what you could do. And one of them was you would never ask a slave to take off your sandals. So John is saying, I can't even unloose a sandal strap, meaning that's how unworthy I am. Another attribute of John the Baptist is this. There's a humbleness when you realize who you're serving in Jesus Christ. John the Baptist got it. He got that Jesus was the Messiah. He got the deep calling of his life, and he said, I'm not worthy. Now, remember from our teaching on Sunday, humbleness is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. 
meaning it's not putting yourself down. It's you don't even think about yourself anymore. John the Baptist is not saying, oh, guys, I'm the worst prophet. No, guys, no one baptizes good. I can't baptize good. No, he's saying, listen, here's the reality. I'm not even worthy to unloose Jesus' sandal strap. That's how amazing he is. And it's just the reality of understanding who he is. And then look, once again, reflecting and deflecting. Verse 8, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'm baptizing you with water as a symbolic representation of your life repenting and confessing your sins. But the truth is, verse 8, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And we'll get to that later in the Gospels of what that means and what that looks like. Why is John the Baptist so amazing? Point people to Jesus and you will find joy, fulfillment, and purpose in life. If you're here tonight and you're saying, I don't have a lot of joy, I don't have a lot of fulfillment, and I really don't know what my purpose is, I just want to honestly ask you, when's the last time you told somebody about who Jesus Christ was? When's the last time that you said, I really want to have somebody today I run into to point towards the Lord? That's where you're going to find joy, fulfillment, and purpose. When's the last time you reflected the glory of God? When's the last time you deflected off praise off you just back to Jesus? That's what John the Baptist did. When we live that life, oh man, that's what it's all about. Never about us. It's about him. Think about that eternity and all that we say and all that we do. Let's stop here real quick. Anybody got any quick questions about John the Baptist? John. It is, and John's right. Go back there. They're, um, they're free to take, and they're wonderful things. I know one of the things that Dawn does is when she uh, gets fuel or at a restaurant or something, she leaves a track on the table there. She'll give a track when she uh, pays for stuff, and it's something that she does right there, and there's been fruit that comes out of that. I mean, it really is. There's fruit that comes out of that. We've seen it. People have actually come out to church here and said, I, I read the track you left. And, and there's been people that we see that you give them the track, and next thing you know, they're looking through it. They're reading through it. And sometimes, like John says, you can actually have a conversation with them. Sometimes it's handed and go. It just kind of depends on what the season is. But they're back there. John would like to see it empty. So tomorrow I'll just empty it for him. And he'll come Sunday, and he'll be, he'll be really happy. We'll buy more. That's all right. He'll be really happy, though, it's empty. No, no but, but seriously, and, and I get it. Listen, I get the whole evangelism thing. You can't force it. You can't. I'm asking you this, though. Reach a point where you're prayerfully prayed up for this. And Dawn and I use this term a lot. We want purposeful, prayerful conversations. When we're talking to someone, in the back of our mind, we're thinking, okay, Lord, when you come up, and Lord, how, how can we, through prayer, have this conversation go towards you and then represent you? I just keep seeing this with John the Baptist, pointing people towards the Messiah. And that's where the joy, the fulfillment, and the purpose comes. Because if you're living your life pointing people towards you, there's not joy, fulfillment, and purpose. It's going to be an emptiness. It's all about eternity. All about eternity. Anybody else anything? Kathy? Yeah. 
It is. And I think the reason it's more mentioned is because it does tie it back into Elijah. Like I said, we'll get to this later on of what does it mean that John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. It doesn't mean he was the reincarnation of Elijah in any way whatsoever. But by it being in there, please remember, any verse that's in the Bible, it's in there for a reason. And so if they want us to see the camel's hair leather belt, immediately takes us to, that's what Elijah wore, this hairy man that walked around. You know, I think if we could go back in time and see these Old Testament prophets, they did carry a commanding presence. They really did. And so these guys were representing God. Prophecy is both foretelling and foretelling. The idea of you are speaking forth possibly future events, but you're also speaking forth for God. And there's an authority that comes around with that. And that's one of the things that impressed people about Jesus. When Jesus would go teach in the synagogues, they would walk away saying, this man teaches with authority. And so, therefore, there was an authoritative presence. And there's so much of a presence, as we read in John chapter 1, the priests and Levites are coming here from Jerusalem to say, who are you? Are you the Christ? Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? Because this man had that presence of representing the Lord. Anybody else have anything here? Quick questions. Yeah. They went the opposite way with Jesus. They called him a glutton. They called him a wine bibber. They said, Jesus eats too much. Jesus drinks too much. John was the opposite way. And it's kind of interesting. It shows the pendulum. So if you're crazy like John, okay, you can't accept it because it's too weird. But yet if you're too, quote, unquote, normal like Jesus, they can't accept you either. Yeah, he went the opposite way. So, John. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's do that real quick. Bethany brought up a good point. Um, John brought up a good point, but Bethany's was more interesting. So let's go to Bethany's point first, and then we'll go to John's secondary kind of lane point a little bit there. Matthew 11, real quick, please. Matthew 11 is a great teaching on who John the Baptist is. And this is kind of where we get the idea from. Look at verse 11. And surely I say to you, Matthew 11, 11, uh, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not been one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's a great teaching point that if we had more time, we would get into. Uh, by being in the kingdom of heaven, understanding who Jesus is, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you have a greater privilege than what even John the Baptist had. John the Baptist is an Old Testament character living in the New Testament. But I want to get to is this. Take a look at 18. This is what Bethany was kind of mentioning there. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. So John, you thought, was too weird. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He goes, so I'm with you every day, and you guys say you can't accept me either. Wisdom is justified by our children. Jesus says, time will reveal the truth. So I do kind of find that interesting that John was one extreme this way. Jesus was the other extreme this way. And neither one would be accepted by the people there. Now, what John was mentioning, though, go to Luke real quick. It's kind of a fascinating study here. Go to Luke um, chapter 1. A lot of people don't realize this, but John the Baptist had a miraculous birth as well. And if you have time, it's really worth studying it out there. Because Luke starts out 
not with Jesus. Most of the time when you think of the beginning of Luke, you jump ahead to Luke chapter 2, and you just go right to the birth of Christ. You got the birth of John the Baptist first. And so the birth of John the Baptist takes up most of Luke chapter 1. Verse 5 to 25 is this miraculous uh, you know, conception there and of what it was going to be and the beautiful picture that it was. But take a look at this, verse 39. People don't realize that Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, and Mary, Jesus' mom, were cousins. So John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. Verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. So from even in utero, John the Baptist was just amazing in the sense of touching lives and they're representing Jesus Christ. It's just kind of this amazing thing. And if you go back and read the beginning of Luke chapter 1, what a special ministry that he will have. Uh, Look at verse 14. This is about John the Baptist's birth. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, you got to remember, before the Holy Spirit was given to us, day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was not in people upon people like it is for us today. So therefore, if you lived in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit may come upon you for a purpose, for a moment, for a season, and then you had certain people that it looks like the Holy Spirit was upon them continually. David seems to be one of them. So for John the Baptist to have the Holy Spirit to be filled with that from the womb and on, that was such a special, unique calling that... To be quite honest, we kind of take for granted that we are living today and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. That's why Jesus said, it's better for me to leave because therefore the comforter will come. And so we can actually have in some ways a closer relationship with the Lord than they could have back during Bible times or New Testament times or during the Gospels because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us all the time. So John had a miraculous birth. He had a unique birth filled with the Spirit, prophesied. It's just an absolutely amazing thing. And I just really encourage you, if you've never studied out for devotions tonight or just extra reading, go read Luke chapter 1 and understand the birth of John the Baptist. And then I would encourage you to go back and read Matthew chapter 11 too, where you start realizing when Jesus talks about the great ministry of John the Baptist. This guy, John the Baptist, is so important of understanding who he is. So important. And what an example to us to find the joy, fulfillment, and purpose we need in life of being filled with the Spirit and pointing people towards Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful, wonderful study of who he is. And I hope you take some time on your own there to go study that out and learn of that as well, too. All right, any final questions here before we close up? Yeah, surely. How long did he minister for? The Bible does not come out and say for sure. There's a really interesting passage in Luke where it says, uh, Luke 1, verse 80, the child, meaning John the Baptist, grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts to the day of his manifestation to Israel. And so he, we know he had a public ministry before Jesus had his public ministry. And it looks like, this is my opinion, by studying it out in the beginning of the book of John, that when they came and talked to him about who are you, that wasn't a lot of time before Jesus showed up. So it looks like that his ministry started 
before Jesus' ministry, obviously, but there's no time frame given of how many years it was. But we do know in Luke chapter 1, verse 80, that he did go out to the deserts, and the Lord used him out there. Now, it's kind of interesting. Being out in the desert, you would think that's not really being used. The way the Lord uses people in the Bible is he usually gets them away from everybody for a while and says, let me prepare you. Remember, Paul spent three and a half years in the desert in the wilderness. You know, these people were called up to go do these things. So we don't know for sure how old he was, but putting together a John there, chapter 1, I'm not going to say it was a real long time before Jesus' public ministry, but it was long enough to get people prepared for the Messiah that was coming. Anybody else got anything? Yeah, Mark. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, once again, the issue that sometimes we run into is that when we present the gospel, the gospel is the good news. So let's definitely present God's love for John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But at the same time, he died on the cross for sins to be taken care of. And there needs to be an understanding of my sin that needs to be dealt with. And so, therefore, there needs to be a repentance for the remission of sins through the blood of Christ. And like Mark was saying there, we'll get into it next week. And uh, Mark 1.15, Jesus shows up and says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Time to make changes and understand who Jesus Christ is. All righty, we're good? Hey, thanks for coming out. I know it was a cold evening there. I hope you were blessed. And I really do mean this. Take the time. Go read out Matthew 11. Go read out Luke chapter 1. Understand who John is. What a wonderful blessing it is to study this out. I'm really looking forward to the gospel of Mark. I I enjoy it. I like it. And um, I hope you're as blessed by this as I am. Don't forget, no church the 26th. No church the 26th. So three weeks from tonight, there will not be church. Okay? Hey, let's pray. Lord, as we just come to you now, help us to understand John. Help us to understand Jesus. Lord, we want to reflect, deflect everything back to you. We want to represent you in every conversation we have and to truly live for eternity, Lord. Truly live for eternity. Thank you for your grace and mercy that we can have the remission of sins through repentance and your love, grace, and mercy. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless. Um, Once again, if there's some help that want to help clear off the stage here, Marv will direct you with that. And then also we can get the risers up there then.